While Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. He replied to them, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and here are my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my mother, sorry, my brother and sister and my mother. Thank you. Oh, I, I didn't ask permission, <laughs> but can I just thank everybody really quickly at the end of that for giving food to the community drive. It's really appreciated. Sorry for gazumping that. <laughs> Wonderful. Thank you. That's great. Well, here we go. You ready? <laughs> My decision to preach on authentic womanhood came primarily because I was preaching about authentic manhood at our recent Men's Shed service. I knew it would put me out of my comfort zone, but I reasoned that as a minister of God's word, surely I don't have to be a woman to examine the scriptures and see what it means to be a woman from God's perspective. As I began to explore biblical passages that are directed towards women, at first glance, that assumption didn't exactly hold up. You see, my quest in both of these talks is to explore what God's vision for masculinity and femininity are, as described in the Bible. Now, whilst men and women are intrinsically tied up with each other, and both men and women are created in God's image that together offer a fuller picture of God's glory, my goal was to focus on the uniqueness of each gender independent of each other. By this I mean... Can we find a description of what it means to be an authentic, godly woman without a man in the picture? As I've come to see, this task is not so easy. As I examined and explored scriptures that speak to women, they oftentimes seem to assume that she is married and has children or is widowed. Many of you will be familiar with the wife of virtuous character described in Proverbs 31, who has the full confidence of her husband, is incredibly industrious, who watches over the affairs of her household, speaks with wisdom, and whose children rise and call her blessed. In Titus 2, 3-5, we read, Urge the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind and to be subject to their husbands so that no one will malign the word of God. 1 Peter 3, 1-6 offers rather extensive instruction for a woman, but again, she is addressed as a wife. Now, all of these and many other texts seem to address married women, assuming they are mothers. Now, was it God's intention for men and women to marry and have children? Of course it was. And certainly when this text was written, the goal and basic purpose of a woman was to marry, uh, raise children and support her family. A woman's value and worth primarily came through her role in the family. Now don't get me wrong, 
being a wife and a mother is a vital role that greatly benefits our homes and our societies. In fact, only this week I had a lady from this very congregation tell me how much she loved this role. However, not every woman will marry or be able to have children. So does that mean that they are somehow less valuable in the eyes of God or destined to experience a reduced form of womanhood? Is biblical womanhood dependent on marriage and mothering? Can the worth of a woman be found exclusively in who she is rather than in what she does? One of the difficulties in finding an answer to this question also arises from the fact that much of the Christian literature I've observed or surveyed regarding this subject seems to be largely written by men whose interest is primarily around a woman's relationship to her husband and a woman's role in the church. I also wish to acknowledge that whilst the Bible is God's Word, inspired by the Holy Spirit, entirely trustworthy and inerrant, it was written, I think it's pretty safe to say, exclusively by men in a culture where women were, not always, but largely seen as being beneath men. I don't believe this taints Scripture. Imagine had been written by women might have slightly different angles and nuances that we don't have if in this case we are looking specifically for references to womanhood. You're all being very good listeners. <laughs> what was society's view of women in ancient Israel in biblical times? Well, generally speaking, the Jews had a dim view of women. Jewish women were not allowed to receive an education, hence they were largely uneducated. Their only training was in how to raise children and keep house. Women were also largely excluded from worshipping God. In Herod's temple, the women were limited to one section. The men's court was located 15 steps above the women's section, highlighting their superiority and granting them more privileges in worshipping God than women. A woman had no voice in her marriage. Her father decided whom she would marry, when she would marry, and why she would marry. A woman could not, under any condition, divorce her husband. Only a man could initiate a divorce. Jewish women were to be seen as little as possible in public. In fact, young men were warned about t talking to women in public. So much so that it was a shame in ancient Israel for a man to talk to a woman in public. Consequently, most women stayed out of the streets. 
So in Jewish culture, women were regarded as inferior to men. They were regarded oftentimes as property, just like cattle and slaves. And it was not much better in other surrounding cultures. In fact, ever since the fall of humanity, women have been regarded as second-class citizens. Responsible for sin and inferior to men. But something happened that changed all of that. Jesus came. In Jesus, we find God's view of a woman. Not man's view, but God's view. Jesus Christ is God made flesh. As such, he embodies all of God's opinions. In his earthly life, Jesus was the visible expression of God himself. By his actions and his words, we discover God's view of a woman and consequently a picture of authentic womanhood. And that view was utterly contrary to the prevailing view of the day. And so from this point on, our task is to ask, what is God's view of womanhood? Consider this. When God decided to make his entrance upon this planet, he visited a woman. He chose a woman to bring forth Jesus, the promised Messiah, the anointed one for whom Israel had waited thousands of years. The life of God was first placed inside the womb of a woman. The life of God was first nurtured and nourished by the breasts of a woman. As Jesus grew and ministered, he tore down all social conventions that were marked against women. And I'm sure this is in no small part due to the amazing woman who had the largest feminine influence in his life. Examining Mary's song, The Magnificat, in Luke's Gospel, Kenneth Bailey, author of Jesus Through Middle Eastern Eyes, writes, This song presents a woman with boundless compassion for the oppressed, along with a clear vision for the lifting of that oppression. Mary is also seen as an intelligent woman who knows that God has grace for her ethnic community and for all who believe. Thereby, the reader is led to understand that Jesus was raised by an extraordinary mother who must have had enormous influence on his attitudes towards women. One of the ways this played out in Jesus' public ministry was the fact that he had women disciples. In Acts 9.36, Tabitha, we're told means Dorcas in Greek, is referred to as a disciple. And in Matthew's Gospel, in the account that Carol read, there is an incident where Jesus' family appears and asks to speak with him. And Jesus replies, 
Who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples. He said, Here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. A rabbi would never say that. He would say, Here are my brothers and my uncles, but never mothers and sisters. Jesus gestures towards his disciples, whom he addresses with male and female terms. Rabbis did not have female disciples. And without going into great detail, this in and of itself was completely unconventional and demonstrates God's high value of women. On one occasion in John 8, Jesus rose to the defence of a woman caught in adultery. He effectively became her attorney and saved her life. Jesus was noted for befriending sinners. He dined with prostitutes and tax collectors. We are told in John 4 that he met a woman and he did something that shocked his disciples. He talked to her in public and was not ashamed to do so. Not only was she a woman, but she was a divorcee. But not only was she a divorcee, she was actively living in immorality. Yet not only was she a woman, a divorcee, an adulteress living in sin, she was worse than a Gentile. She was a Samaritan, a person with whom Jews were never to talk. So in a culture where men were completely discouraged from ever talking to women in public, the Lord Jesus talks to a divorced, adulterous Samaritan woman in public. And he forgives her of her sins and he's not ashamed to do so. This is God's view of a woman. Jesus had a custom of using women in his parables and making them the heroes. He never spoke down to women. In Luke 15, he talks about the woman who searches her house for a coin and finds it and celebrates In Luke 18, Jesus spoke of the woman who was unrelenting in the presence of an unjust judge who honoured her for her persistence. In Luke 21, he spoke of the widow who dropped all the money she had into the temple treasury and praised her for doing so. Now, we need to understand that rabbis of the day would never use women to illustrate a situation or a principle or a teaching of God. It was completely unknown. Now, we read these scriptures where Jesus highlights or uses a woman and we think nothing of it. But this was radical in his time. And this, my brothers and sisters, shows us God's view of a woman. On another occasion in Luke 7, we read that Jesus was dining with a self-righteous Pharisee and in walked a woman. But this was not just any woman. She was a woman of the streets, a prostitute. Upon seeing the Lord, she dropped down to her knees and did something that was most alarming. In the presence of Pharisees, this woman unbound her hair and poured costly perfume upon the feet of our Lord. I don't like using this term, but she was seen as an unclean woman. And she touched Jesus in public. 
she wept and washed his feet with her tears and dried them with her hair. This scandalous and improper act mortified the self-righteous Pharisees. At that moment, these religious leaders lost all respect for Jesus and doubted whether he was a true prophet. But was Jesus ashamed? Not at all. Because this is God's view of a woman. But that's not all. In Matthew 9, Jesus allowed an unclean woman to touch the hem of his garment, bringing instant healing to her illness. And he was not ashamed. In fact, he highlights and praises her and illustrates her as an example of great faith. At his greatest hour of need, most of Jesus' male disciples fled. But the faithful women stayed with him. They didn't leave. They followed him up to Calvary to do what they'd been doing all along, comforting him, taking care of him, tending to his needs. And they watched him undergo a horrific crucifixion that lasted six long hours. Following his death, it was the women who first visited his burial. Even after his death, they were still following him. They were still taking care of him. And when he rose from the dead, the first faces he met, the first eyes that were laid upon him were the eyes of women. And it was to them that he gave the privilege of announcing his resurrection, even though their testimony would not hold up in court. This is God's view of a woman. It is overwhelming. As I examine and read each and every one of these stories where Jesus encounters women, their marital status makes no difference to how he views them. What does boil to the surface is just how incredibly valuable women are in God's eyes. Ladies, God values you, not for what you do, as wonderful and necessary as that is, but for who you are. The image that comes to mind when I think about your incredible value is that of a diamond, precious, rare, multifaceted, delicate. Diamonds in and of themselves are incredibly beautiful, mysterious, and costly. They are treasured, cherished, and to be treated with respect. In God's eyes, ladies, you are precious and valuable, like rare, polished diamonds. Men, we are to treat all women with the dignity, value and respect that they are so worthy of. Not for what they do, but for who they are. Men, we need to take note of how Jesus treated women and follow suit. 
Now, there were lots of different passages I explored in preparing for this talk, but there was one phrase that really rose to the top, and it's from the book of Ruth, about Ruth. In case you are unfamiliar with the story of Ruth, it's a beautiful little four-chapter book which offers great hope to Israel during a very dark period in their history. It follows directly on from the book of Judges, which is a story of Israel's descent into ungodliness and self-destruction. During the days of the Judges, there was a famine that got so bad, people were forced to leave the land in order to survive. And so this book follows the story of one family, Elimelech, Naomi, and their two sons. They left Bethlehem to become foreigners in Moab. During their time away, the two sons marry foreign women, Orpah and Ruth. Tragically, all three men in the story die and all three women become widows. Now, at this point, Naomi decides to return to her hometown, urging her daughters-in-law to stay in their country and remarry. But Ruth refuses to leave Naomi and chooses to become a foreigner herself. She famously declares to her mother-in-law, where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die. This is an incredible act of selflessness, wishing to honour and stand by Naomi leaving behind her own flesh and blood, mother and father. Without going further into the story, there is a point where Ruth is referred to as a woman of noble character. In fact, that is her reputation amongst the whole town. What a beautiful description. A woman of noble character. Character is all about who you are and the choices you have made to get you to where you are today. Now, in spite of my efforts to craft these two talks on authentic manhood and authentic womanhood, at the end of the day, the Bible never commands us to strive for authentic manhood or authentic womanhood. The Bible calls all people to be more like Jesus. So women, pursue Jesus. Your identity is found in him, not in being a wife or a mother or a grandmother. Your identity and worth is not found in your career or in your home or in your garden. As wonderful as those things are, your first and primary purpose is to become more Christ-like. This is where your worth is found. And it's in following Jesus and becoming increasingly like him that your womanhood will flourish and be all that he intends you to be. Ladies, like Ruth, may it be said of you that you are a woman of noble character.
Would you join me in prayer? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In this sacred moment this morning, and we consider your word and what you might be saying to us, we want to pause and give thanks that you created men and women in your image. Thank you that together men and women reflect the glory of God. Lord, I want to say thank you for the ladies here today. Thank you for the precious gift that they each are to us as a church and to our families. And this morning, Lord, we want to honour them because you do. I'd like all the women in the room to stand. (laughs) Women, your value and worth comes from who you are. In Jesus. He loves you. He values you and cherishes you. And he wants you to know that. Can all the men in the room please join me in giving these beautiful ladies a hand? We honour you. Please be seated. Amen.